Hello and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. My name is JD and I blog over at uncoveringhmc.com if you want more information about what we do. Uh, today we're just going to go over a bunch of anonymous questions I received from our Have a Question page, which is where people can just submit their questions that they have without having to worry about it being traced back to them. So if you're interested in what other people are asking and what my thoughts are on them, then stay tuned. So as I said, uh, all these questions come from our have a question page over at uncoveringintimacy.com. And uh, I'm trying something new in 2019. Uh, What I'm going to try to do is have a blog uh, a podcast episode for every blog post I write. And typically they've been separate. Uh, I've been podcasting about different things that I've been blogging about. And uh, frankly, I, I often didn't get around to podcasting uh, just because it takes a lot more time to edit. Uh, it takes more time to come up with uh, ideas that I haven't already. And for some reason, I don't seem to want to podcast about things that I've already written about on the blog. Um, so this year, we're trying something different. Uh, every time I write a blog post, I'm going to try to put out a podcast episode. Uh, they'll be largely the same, but that way people don't feel like they're missing out if they enjoy our blog on two different mediums. So uh, this first one that we have is I have a ton of questions that came in. Uh, in fact, even more had come in, but I had to cut it off somewhere. So our first question is, what if your husband has medical problems and cannot get an erection? So there's not a lot of context here. We don't know what the medical problem is. We don't know what she's asking permission for or if she is. Uh, so it's kind of hard to give a specific answer. Uh, personally, I like a lot more context. Uh, if you see on the blog in the past, some of the anonymous questions I get, there are pages and pages of context. And I like that. I'm sure some people it's a little bit more to slog through. Uh, I quite like having all the information. But I'm going to shorten some of them for this just because, well, I don't want to spend 20 minutes trying to give you all the context for everything. But I'll post it all on the website just in case you want to know. Anyways, so for this one, we don't have a lot of context. So some general thoughts on the subject are, depending on the medical condition, I would definitely say talk to your doctor about the ED. Sometimes you can change medications or treatments just to reduce side effects. A lot of times doctors don't think about that uh, right off the bat. Um, sexual concerns aren't often a concern um, because it's just not within their purview. Uh, they don't really worry about it until you bring it up. And with some doctors, you really have to push for them to actually care or refer you to somebody who does care. Uh, second thing is, even if you can't solve the ED issue or in the meantime anyways, uh, you can have a wonderful, fulfilling sex life without an erection. It takes a bit more openness and some adaptability, but there are many other options. Uh, Mutual masturbation is a good starter because you can actually have an orgasm without an erection or less of an erection anyways than you need for sex. Um, So that's an option and some things to look into. Uh, Whatever you do, I'd work at finding activities that boost intimacy between the two of you. Because if sex is a struggle, um, I think it's good to have some way that's still fulfilling that physical need. So uh, I think it's great if couples start massaging each other. It also helps because it can kind of lead into sex. Um, Even if he's not able to have an erection and orgasms, um, I would still be working to make sure that she's still feeling uh, that she's physically wanted and desired and everything. A lot of guys, if they have ED problems, then they will kind of step away because it's embarrassing and they feel ashamed and they feel less of a man. But there are many other guys who they can't get erections, but they still have wonderful intimate sex lives uh, just without intercourse. So those are my thoughts based on what little information I have. Of course, if you're in the same situation and you have any ideas for her, uh, you can always head over to the website and leave a comment and hopefully they'll see it. Uh, Unfortunately, these are anonymous questions, so I have no contact information for them. Our second question is from a wife uh, who's having problems with her husband. Uh, She writes, I should mention, I've severely cut this down. She gave a lot of information, which is extremely handy, but it'd take a while to read through it all. Uh, if you want to, you can head over to the website. It'll be there. It's question two. Uh, 
but I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs and then give you a little bit more information to fill you in. So she writes, I'm deeply hurt and I don't know what to do. My husband and I have only been married for eight months. We dated for three years and have been best friends for around 15 years. I've uncovered his an ugly secret of his, and I feel as if the man I thought I knew doesn't even exist. Four months ago, he started acting different when it came to sex. He only wanted to have sex at night with me, and even though I told him I would like to during the daytime or in the morning once in a while, he never initiated anything. So I started coming to him several different times randomly in the dirt in the day and morning, and every single time he turned me down with some kind of excuse. Then he starts having trouble keeping an erection when we're having sex at night. Now he has no problem... Oh... Now, he has no problem finishing when I'm giving him a handjob or blowjob. It's only vaginally that he finishes one out of four times. He says he doesn't know what's going on and says he'll see a doctor in January when his insurance kicks in. I asked him if he's been masturbating a lot lately or watching a lot of porn, and he got extremely defensive and angry that I would even ask that because, in quote, he doesn't do that. Exclamation mark. He says he used to, but not anymore. Uh, So she continues to write that uh, she... She honestly, she didn't believe him. Plus, she kept hearing him kind of whispering things uh, that sounded sexual. So she actually ended up recording him, and she caught him uh, giving sexual commands to someone over the phone. So it seems like he's been using chat rooms. And that that doesn't surprise me at all, based on the second paragraph. Uh, Whenever someone gets defensive and say they don't do that, it's almost certain that they do do that or they're doing something else um that's not that's typically not a normal reaction uh especially so strong of one so uh she continues to basically say that you know this is kind of destroying their marriage and she's heartbroken and soul crushed that's how she signed it so if you want to read everything that she wrote again you can go to the website um of course, I don't know this woman or her husband or their marriage, um, but I can give an educated guess because I've dealt with quite a few couples over the last half a decade. And uh, so the first thing is he, she caught him red-handed. So you literally know what's happening with this. We do. She does. Everybody knows. He knows. He just doesn't want to admit it. So we don't need to guess at that, at least. Uh, which in some ways is good because we know and that's better than not, but in another, way it completely sucks uh it eats people up knowing uh that this is going on but not being able to make any traction on it second uh it's clear he's not willing willing to deal with it yet uh that could be for a lot of reasons it could just be that he doesn't think it's wrong but i kind of doubt that based on his reaction if he didn't think it was wrong he would just admit that he's doing it and say it's not a problem uh, the two most likely scenarios that i can come up with is that he's either terrified that this one, his wife will leave him. And so he's doing his best to deny it, uh, gaslight her. So basically make her think that she's insane or making like imagining things or, uh, pretty much do anything to make you think that it's not reality or he can't. The other option is he can't deal with it himself. It could just be he's so addicted that he can't stop. You said you've known him for 15 years. Uh, I think she says later that she's in her forties and he's in his fifties and it's his first marriage. So I'm willing to bet this is a long standing habit, um, that he's had for decades. And I think he tried to stop when you got married and you, he probably did stop for a few months and then he fell back into it. And that's, I think, why you see the change a few months in. Uh, and that happens for a lot of guys that they kind of stop. They manage to stop under their own willpower, but if they don't come clean about it, they don't have any accountability about it. Uh, if their spouse doesn't even know or doesn't want to deal with it or doesn't want to ask difficult questions or isn't open to hearing when they're struggling, uh, almost all the time they fall back into these patterns. So what can you do? Uh, if he... <laughs> Like worst case scenarios, he, he literally cannot deal with the reality of what he's doing and he's sort of split reality. And then you need serious professional help from a licensed therapist, not a pastor. Uh, they're not trained to deal with that, but that's, that's a pretty outside edge case. Uh, I think it's more likely that it, he's just, 
and I say just because I don't know what else to word to use, but he, he's fallen into this pattern of addiction. And I think he's more likely he's just terrified of what your response will be. Uh, you said this is your second marriage. So I'm not sure what ended the first one, but if it was divorce, then that would add to his worry that you might leave. So if it was me, uh, I might try this, uh, write him a letter or an email, uh, whatever medium feels comfortable to both of you. Uh, face-to-face conversations about this can be very difficult. Uh, they add a lot of stress. Uh, it's more intimate, more vulnerable. And that, while intimacy and vulnerability are great things, I have a blog post half written about that, um, it's also very difficult to get a conversation started uh, if you're already feeling scared. Uh, adding more intimacy and vulnerability is not a good idea. So if you write a letter, it gives him a chance to process, to think without being face-to-face, and then he can respond hopefully more logically and not just a upset, angry, defensive, I don't do that. So in this letter, I would probably tell him, look, you know what's going on that there's no, like, there's no ambiguity about it. You know exactly what he's doing. Uh, or at least you can say, these are the behaviors I've witnessed because you can't, you can't argue with behaviors. If you heard it and he said it, then he's not going to argue. He, he might argue with it, but he knows it's reality and he knows that, you know, so the other thing that's important is to say that, you know, you understand it's going to be going on for a while that he probably wants to stop and is having trouble and that you're willing to help in any way possible. Uh, you can let him know that it's not just his issue, but your collective issue. Uh, if you, you can tackle this as a team so he doesn't feel like it's him alone hiding it from you. Um, and you can say that it's hurting both of you. Um, and then you invite him to respond. Uh, the big thing is I ideally you let him know that, um, you love him unconditionally and that this struggle that he's in, this temptation doesn't make you love him any less. It hurts you that I think that's perfectly okay to say, but if you have chosen to stay in the marriage, then I, I, I think you should say that because I think that'll give him a much better chance to actually work through it and share and open up and be vulnerable so that you can tackle it together. Now, if that doesn't work, or if he refuses to respond, then uh, my next steps would probably be something a bit more direct, something along the lines of telling him, I'm going to go see our pastor about our issue, and then invite him to come with you. Um, you could say, you know, you're also booking time with a Christian therapist, and you'd like him to join you to, there too. Uh, the pastor is more or less just to get some support, some prayer, and to let him know what's going on in his congregation. Uh, It also moves this out of the shadows, because even when you're going to a counselor, like counselors, they they have legal requirements to be confidential. They cannot share your information. Pastors don't. I mean, they kind of do if they're doing therapy. They're supposed to follow under the same guidelines, but I've met too many pastors that are too willing to share things about other people. Um, They are not perfect humans. And uh, yeah, too many pastors have loose lips. They shouldn't, but they do. Uh, The other thing is that a pastor is far more likely to share it with elders so that the elders know what's going on as well. It's it's not quite as behind closed doors as uh, a therapist or a counselor. So, uh, plus pastors have this whole kind of authority of God aura around them, which is a whole thing I'm not going to get into right now. Um, but the point is that they have this effect that if people know the pastor knows, well, now it's a serious issue. So that said, I, I would not want the pastor to actually try to try to do counseling. If he offers, I would say, no, we're going to go to a therapist because they're actually trained. Most pastors get very little, if any training in actual counseling or therapy. Um, and most pastors I talk to tell me they're not equipped to to counsel people. So unfortunately people tend to think that's their job. And if it, it, I think it could be their job, but yeah, they're not trained. They don't know how to deal with it in most cases. Uh, a lot of cases they can do more harm than good, unfortunately. So, um, going to the therapist is actually to get the help to learn the tools for coping, learn boundaries, uh, figure out how to work through it, uh, helps have someone help mediate things like that. 
And lastly, uh, I completely understand that you're heartbroken and soul crushed. Um, the thing to remember here, and this is, can be difficult to hear, but I, I'm, I'm saying it to this woman because she's a wonder who wrote in and, you know, the thing to remember is that, uh, we can be heartbroken and soul crushed, but not try not to be that because of our spouses, but instead for them. If that makes any sense, you know, your husband is suffering through a terrible attack, one that's leaving him unable to resist, terrified of what it means for your relationship and likely feeling like scum. And it's not fair that you have to be kind of the bigger person, but marriage isn't about fairness. It's about learning to love someone as much as someone can be loved. And not because you must, but because you chose to. And that I wish I could get couples to understand that. And I think that's why sometimes couples who go through these difficult situations, they end up stronger because they've learned how to tackle things together. They've learned to realize that their spouse is not their enemy. It's an external force. That's their enemy. And they work through it together um, to defend themselves uh, with God's help. Our next question is about sex toys causing a sexual awakening. So another wife writes, my husband and I have been married for 35 years because of his ED. We have been sexless for five to six years. I refuse to allow him to use sex toys after speaking with a close friend, I decided to go ahead and let and try them. Let him try them. Now I am the aggressor and pursue him to help nearly every day. Is this normal? My hang-up has been spiritual. Not sure if I ever felt okay with it, but started to have some problems in the marriage and thought I better try to keep him satisfied at home. This is bringing a whole new aspect to our lives. So this is uh, a question I get a lot is, is this normal? And not with respect to this topic, with respect to any topic. That's why I run so many surveys, if you've noticed. Um, so let's answer that question first. Is this normal? Absolutely not. You know why? Because normal is what people do when they just shrug and go, he has ED. I guess our sex life is over now. Uh, normal is when people get divorced or have affairs because they think ED is their husband's problem. Normal is refusing to explore, to grow, to change, to re-examine your beliefs and get advice on a culturally difficult subject. And uh, I say, thank God you're not doing what is normal. That said, it's completely understandable that all of a sudden you found something that makes you feel sexually alive and you want to experience it more. Uh, so here's the risk. So the risk is that you focus too much on the method and not enough on who you're sharing it with. Um, you should use the those feelings, sensations, and time to grow closer together. There is a danger of putting the physical sensations higher than the relationship with your spouse. And I don't think that should be ignored. Um, there are a lot of bloggers, Christian bloggers out there who are adamantly against sex toys because they see them as a replacement for a spouse. Uh, I personally don't think they need to be a replacement. Um, but I, there is a definite risk that they could be. Um, I think as well, you should make sure that your husband feels that he's an integral part of the experience. Uh, don't let him think for a moment that you just be happy alone with a toy. That thought can be devastating to a spouse, especially one dealing with ED. And to be honest, you, you might have some repair work to do. I mean, after all, um, you've been refusing for five to six years because I don't know why. Well, you refuse to use sex toys, but I, I don't understand why other options weren't available. I mean, as we mentioned in an earlier question, you know, there, there are other, are other things that you can do even if you have ED. So I'm willing to bet part of his mind is thinking, Oh, now she's happy only because she has a sex toy. Um, I think you might want to have a conversation about, you know, it's not the toy. It's that you didn't realize that sex could still feel this good. And I think you could still feel that good without the toy. It's just toys are a shortcut. Uh, I think it would be wonderful for you guys to continue to explore, to figure out how to still feel amazing without the toys. Not that toys are bad or anything. It's just, it might help him feel a little bit more like it's not that you love the toy that you want to do this. Um, 
yeah, focus more, build up that idea that, you know, this is time for the two of you to connect, to be intimate, to be vulnerable. Uh, I, I think then just enjoy it. Our next question is from another wife. Uh, I seem to get a lot of questions from wives, which is amazing. I love it. Uh, because people always think that, oh, it's only men who read blogs about marriage and sex and, well, specifically the sex part. Uh, it's not true. Uh, my readership is actually split about 50-50 between men and women, as far as I can tell. So this question starts with, okay, I'll be honest, your blog is slightly addictive. I just had a baby and spent a ton of time every day feeding him. So I'm going through and reading all your old blog posts while I feed him. I'm up to page 15 of 47 pages of blog entries. I'm dreading getting to the end of all the posts because they are by far the most interesting reading I've done in a while. You're willing to answer questions that most people wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. It's so refreshing to finally find out the answers to so many questions I've had through the years about marriage and intimacy. So whenever I do get to the end of the blog, I'm wondering if there's any books that you'd recommend that I could check out for further reading. Do you have a top 10 list or top 25 list of books on marriage and or sex? Uh, so first off, I want to say, you know, thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, I've had quite a few people actually say that uh, they do the same thing. They just start reading and they get addicted and it's uh, they read just everything in one big go. And that's kind of always the problem when you find something new and exciting that's finite. You know, I tend to do the same thing when I find a new resource. Uh, I, I read everything as quickly as I can, sort of like trying to drink from the fire hydrant. Um, and uh, as for what to do next, well, I am trying to produce more content. So like I said, we're going to be doing more podcast episodes, more blog posts. Well, we'll be doing them together. I'm also hoping to run some workshops, seminars type things. I keep saying I'm going to do that, but I'm actually going to do it this year. Uh, as for books and resources, I don't currently have a top 10 or 25 list or a list of books anywhere that uh, is accessible, but I will see if I can put something together in the near future. Maybe I'll just do a blog post about it and uh, a podcast episode as well. Uh, in the meantime, um, yeah, uh, I would say bookmark something, some of the posts that uh, meant a lot to you, because sometimes when we, I find this for myself anyways, when I go through something the way you're going through it, just reading one after another after another, um, you forget a lot of it because it's just so much new information so quickly. Um, so I would say, you know, just bookmark some of the ones that you're like, oh yeah, I, I want to know more about this or things that you want to share with your husband, because it might be handy for you two to both have kind of the same framework to work with, uh, and some of the same vocabulary and be, and then you can talk about it, whether or not you agree with the post honestly doesn't matter that much. Uh, I'm more interested in people discussing it and being able to share uh, openly and honestly with their spouse than about pushing my ideas. Because I think uh, that that openness and vulnerability will help uh, much more than adopting whatever I say wholesale. So yeah, stay tuned. I'll try to get a list up. Um, Honestly, I have a couple piles of books here that I've read on the subject, and I have another pile that I still need to read. Um, so I'll see if I can go through them and pick out some of my favorites. Oh, uh, I just remembered. Um, I have done a bunch of book reviews in the past. Um, if you if you search for book reviews on the blog you should be able to find them. Uh, or I believe, yeah, there's a category in the menu that you can actually find book reviews. And uh, that at least give you a start of some books to read. Uh, read through the reviews, because sometimes I've done reviews of books that I have thought are terrible and I thought no one should read. But they sent me the book and asked me to do the review. So, you know, I, I did the review. <laughs> uh, yeah, so check that out and uh, I'll try to get a list uh, together as quickly as I can. All right. So this question is a little less complimentary. Uh, I'm going to cut it short because it's fairly long as well. And it kind of rehashes a lot of stuff that people have already said before and we've already tackled and discussed, but I didn't want to ignore it completely and just say, Oh, we'll go read the blog. So uh, this 
person, I'm not sure who they are, they write, uh, I feel like there's a bit of a double standard on this blog. On the one hand, you state that because the Bible doesn't explicitly forbid anal sex in a heterosexual marriage, anal sex between a heterosexual female uh, married couple is okay. But on the other hand, you state that if you pay attention to biblical principles such as selfishness, etc., then solo masturbation is sinful, even though there are no explicit prohibitions found anywhere in the Bible. To me, you hold up a standard for one, then you hold up the standard for the other. So I'm going to stop there, but there's another half dozen paragraphs. Uh, You can check them out on the blog if you want. So we talked about this quite a bit in our private forum for my Patreon supporters. And if you want to join the forum and support us, uh, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. I think I have it set at, um, I think there's a link uh, on most podcast listening things that you can just click on, or there's a link right on the blog. You can find it. Anyways, so we talked about this a lot. It was probably the most conversation that we've had on there to date. Uh, it was. It took my wife, I think, like an hour to read through it all. Um, if you want to read it, yeah, uh, you can join our supporters group and check it out. So. There was a lot going on in the rest of it, uh, but most of it was built off of this angle that I see in the first paragraph that I don't particularly subscribe to, um, that something is sin or not because of the actual behavior. Now, my view is that sin is more of a heart issue and that relationships are far more important to God than individual acts. Um, for example, if you accidentally kick someone, it's not a sin. If you kick them on purpose, it is a sin. Um, it's not the action, it's the intent as well as um, the resulting change in the relationship, or more importantly, the character of the person. So for example, if you accidentally kick someone but aren't remorseful about it, um, because just because an accident doesn't mean you're not responsible, then it's more likely to lead to a relationship problem and exhibits a character issue. And uh, I think you should care when something you do harms someone else, even if it's by accident, or even if you don't think it should have. So as well, I believe that God designed sex to be shared with your spouse and only with your spouse. And most Christians will agree with me on that statement. What they don't agree with is that I believe masturbation is sex. And we're kind of like one of the last holdouts in the world to still believe that it's not. Um, the vast majority of the secular world has accepted that masturbation is sex. We have many, many studies that show that biologically, you know, our bodies and brains behave the same way, whether we're having sex or having or masturbating. Um, so for me, um, the issue is not the actions, but that one is sex with your spouse and the other one is sex without your spouse. One promotes intimacy, caring, compassion, self-control, and can build the relationship. And the other one promotes distancing, selfishness, lack of self-control, and separates the relationship. And for me, that's how, that's how I weigh the two things. And from that perspective, there's no double standard. Uh, but I completely get that other people don't see it that way. And, uh, you're welcome to believe and think whatever you want, but uh, I'm frankly going to stick with that same perspective. Question six has to do with positions. Uh, this wife writes, so my husband and I recently discovered christianfriendlysexpositions.com. Thanks to your recommendation on a blog post from a while ago. And our goal is to try out all 220 positions in 2019. Now this might be a lofty goal, but we're going to try. And if we fail, then we'll just finish in 2020. No pun intended. But my question is this, there's another non-Christian site, I won't name it or give the web address, that claims to have 245 positions. I visited the site briefly, but only they didn't have nice cartoon drawings, so I clicked away. Any ideas about why Christian-friendly sex positions only has 220 and not 245? I'm guessing that maybe the last 25 involves sinful acts, because it seems like Christian Christian-friendly sex positions is pretty complete. Curious to know if you have any ideas. It's actually kind of bothering me because I feel like Christians should be the experts when it comes to sex and not the world. And then there's uh, some more information, uh, including uh, a request for a poll, which I'm going to post on the website because, well, you can't do polls in podcasts. It doesn't work. So if you want to figure out what the poll is and answer it, go check out the blog post. So uh, I actually decided to uh, ask the owner of Christian Friendly Sex Positions because we were a pretty good uh, relationship. And uh, I'm just going to read what he wrote back uh, with his permission. Uh, 
So he writes, there's a lot going on behind the scenes at christianfriendlysexpositions.com. I have another 100 positions or so that I need that need to be illustrated. I'm hoping to finish them in 2019. My goal is to have 365 positions when I'm done. Some positions will be variations of other positions, but the variations will be enough of a difference to consider them a different sex position. I'm also starting to work on printable cards for each position. You'll be able to buy printable cards that can be used uh, to do things such as fill a jar with position cards. Both spouses agree on trying and pull a card or two every once in a while to try something new. If you like the position, you can put the card in a keeper stack, and if the position doesn't work out, throw it away. This has been a very popular request in the past year or so. I've got to sharpen my illustrator skills before I create the cards, though. And I completely agree that Christians should have the best lovemaking resources possible, and that's why I'm working on creating. That's what I'm working on creating. ChristianFriendlySexPositions.com has come a long way, I still have a lot of work to do. So, basically, the short answer is, he's not finished yet. Um... Secondly, uh, yeah, she asked about the poll. Uh, I'm not sure uh, I'm going to ask on the website um, because she asked if people would like to try a to do a positions. And I might just wait till he has the 365 and then we'll try that. It probably won't be one every day because then people have to commit to having sex every day for a year. And most people aren't up for that. Um, but maybe we split them up into weeks and then you have to try so many in a week. Or these are the ones you could try in a week. And then you just try a few every time. So, uh, lastly, um, oh, they had another question. Oh, they asked uh, if we know the three or four most common uh, positions or the 10 most common or 20 or whatever. So, uh, I don't, I don't have an answer to what the most common uh, positions are. Um, and I'll put that on my backlist of survey ideas, which I do check whenever I'm doing a new survey. So uh, stay tuned, and hopefully we'll get an answer to that at some point in the future. So our next question is, again, uh, a criticism of anal sexing, because this gets brought up again. It's pretty much every time I do a round of anonymous questions, somebody has some question about either anal sex or masturbation. Those are the two big things that everybody loves to argue about. So this person writes, in Song of Solomon, references are made to the Shulamite woman's vagina, translated navel, and to oral sex, see chapter 2, verse 3. But there are no references to the anus or anal sex. If anal sex is natural and not sinful, why isn't it ever mentioned in Song of Solomon's? Also, would anal sex really have been considered natural by the Israelites, either in the Old Testament or New Testament times, or would this fall into the unnatural relations category Paul refers to in Romans? I know you've argued that this refers only to homosexual relations, but how can we be certain it's not referring to anything not mentioned in Song of Solomon's? So, just to start, uh, to agree with his viewpoint, we first have to assume that Song of Solomon is an exhaustive list of sexual activities. Um, so then is manual sex prohibited? Because there are some allusions to manual sex on the wife, but definitely not on the husband in Song of Solomon. And can we have sex in fields, but not in cars? Because they mentioned having sex in the field, but there are no cars, so they don't mention that. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure if they mention having sex in a bed, but don't quote me on that. Uh, they're not very specific about where they're having sex other than in a field. And we can't explicitly state that Song of Solomon mentions sex at all. You know, many take it as allegory, allegory, and the language is very suggestive, but not descriptive, at least in terms of sexual activities. So we have a whole lot of issues if we start taking Song of Solomon as like the checklist of what's okay sexually and not. Uh, and the short answer is, if, if you don't want to engage in se anal sex, then don't. That, that's It's as simple as that. Now, uh, the whole unnatural relationship thing that he talks about, uh, Paul, um, I think is really clear because in the verses ahead of it, he explicitly mentions um, uh, homosexual relationships. I mean, that seems to be what he's talking about there. Um, so I, I, I don't know how people expand it into other things without taking that one verse out of context. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I'm going to say about that, just because it's Honestly, this topic's been done over and over and over again. But if you write in and ask a question about it, I'm going to answer it again because uh, 
I kind of, when I started this blog, I said, you know, I, I will answer any question, uh, because I saw too many other resources out there that were Christian that would just shut the things down that they didn't agree with or that they didn't want to answer or that were too critical of them. Um, so I'll keep answering and, uh, yeah, I'm going to be, I'll defend my viewpoint if I still agree with my viewpoint. Um, and some people think that makes me defensive, but, uh, I honestly don't know how else to respond other than to say, well, that's not what I believe. So our next question is about sexy underwear for men. So this person writes, hi, Jay, bit of a strange question, but I don't think I've seen it addressed. What is considered sexy nightwear for men and where could I buy some? My husband's nightwear is conventional and they look like they're issued by the hospital. I'd like to upgrade him to something I find pleasing or something I will find pleasing. And maybe you could touch on self-esteem for men if you haven't already. I find my husband incredibly sexy, but he doesn't seem to know what to do with this information. I wish he would enjoy my compliments more and respond to them. It's like he's scared to accept what I say in case he stops being humble. Anyways, Merry Christmas and thanks. So I always find it kind of cute when people say they have a strange question because whenever they explicitly state it's a strange question, it's it's almost never a strange question. Uh, this is one of the most tame questions I've ever gotten. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of find that adorable. So, uh, sexy nightwear for men. Uh, I don't know myself. Uh, I don't wear nightmare. Uh, I much prefer to sleep naked. So, uh, I asked her in our private group for our supporters and they came up with a list. Um, some of them said boxer briefs. Uh, some said silk boxers. Some said pajama bottoms explicitly without anything underneath. Uh, one of them showed a picture of shorts that had like text on them. Um, that it was like, Oh, it was a to do list. And it was, I honestly can't remember what was on the to do list, but, uh, the punchline of it was the wife was one of the things to do on the to do list. <laughs> Uh, and of course, another favorite is to wear nothing at all. Um, so if you check on the blog, I actually have links to all these, uh, three of them are Amazon links. The third one is Etsy. No, it's not Etsy. It's some printing company that I think you can put your own name on the shorts in the to-do list. So that's an idea. Um, I'll be honest, when I was writing the blog post, I completely missed the whole second part of the question about the self-esteem. So, um, self-esteem for men. So this tends to fall under two camps. Uh, one is that a lot of men kind of don't have an issue with that kind of self-esteem. We guys are weird. Uh, so women tend to look in a mirror and they have a whole bunch of body issues. Well, not look in the mirror when they think about their body that they immediately think of all the things they don't like. Um, not, I'm not going to say most men. I don't know how many men, but a fair number of men. We have this idea in our head that we are in our head. We are the best version of ourselves, at least physically. Anyways, uh, we tend to forget that we have a stomach or that we're balding or that we're going gray or that whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't mean we think we're sexy though. So there's this weird juxtaposition where we think we're the best the version of ourselves in our head. And I think a lot of us are kind of surprised when we look in the mirror because it doesn't match what's in our head. Um, but the other thing is that most of us have grown up so indoctrinated in Christianity and even outside of Christianity, such a kind of male negative world these days. Uh, especially the younger generations that um, we've been taught to think men aren't very much of them and that there, there's not a lot good about men. And uh, I know for myself, I fight against that because yeah, it's, we've been taught that, you know, every TV show out there has the man as the ugly bumbling idiot. Um, so taking compliments, compliments can be difficult. I think that's more, I think that's exists on both sides of the fence. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, we've been taught to be so humble that we don't know how to take compliments anymore. And the answer to them is basically to smile and say, thank you. Uh, that's how you take a compliment. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Um, so if you want him to respond to your compliments in a specific way, then tell him how you want him to respond to them. Um, most guys are pretty good at following directions. Um, 
we're not we're not dumb. We just don't know what you want, <laughs> and we're not mind readers. Um, so if you say, "Look, when I give you a compliment, I would like you to do X, Y, and Z," um, he may actually try to do X, Y, and Z. And then if you respond very nicely, or if something that like he finds nice, there's a good chance he's going to try it again because, well, why wouldn't he? So that's it, and Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you too, and Happy New Year. This shows you just how late I am in some of these. Actually, that's not so bad. It's two weeks behind. So, uh, Question nine is about hypnosis. Uh, this person writes, I have a fantasy of hypnotizing my wife, practicing to a point where I can give her post-hypnotic suggestions that she won't remember. Even the idea of doing it is very exciting, but I think it is wrong to hypnotize her. What do you think about this? Have you done any research? And this was an interesting one. A part particularly because I happened to be researching this topic already when it came in. Uh, it was kind of weird, actually. This is the first question I've ever gotten on hypnosis, and it happened to be when I was in the middle of looking it up that it came in. That's uh, quite the coincidence. Uh, it also caused quite a stir in our forum, uh, especially when I said, you know, we've been researching and playing around with it a bit. Um, some people were very uncomfortable with that. Uh, the other ones said, I want to learn how to do it. How can we do that? <laughs> so uh, this is quite a split. And uh, in my research, I found that there are certain denominations that tend to be uh, very for or against hypnosis in general. Um, so I thought that was interesting as well. So uh, I copied something that I wrote in um, our forum for the blog post, and I'm just going to read it because... I already wrote it once. So uh, so I wrote, uh, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with hypnotism. Trance is a natural part of our existence that we go into nearly every day. Actually, I research more. We do go into it every day, at least twice a day. Uh, once when we go to sleep and once when we wake up. Anyways, uh, as well, we go into trance when we're watching movies or TV or reading a book, sometimes also when we drive. You know, if you've been driving down the road and you realize you don't remember the last five minutes of your driving, um, that's because you've gone into a trance and your other than conscious part of your brain has been basically taken over while your conscious brain checked out or daydreaming or whatever. So that's the same kind of same state. Uh, hypnosis is just a method of intentionally creating that same stance trait trance state. Ugh. So as a result, uh, I don't think wanting to hypnotize your spouse is necessarily wrong. Um, so his desire not to have her know that may be manipulative while we're talking about hypnosis or NLP, which is, um, neuro linguistic programming, uh, manipulation, uh, emotional leverage, abuse, rape, or any other form of non-consensual control. Um, that's never okay. Now, Unless, of course, she has a desire to not know, and that can get a bit complicated. Like, if she has this fantasy about being hypnotized and then forgetting about being hypnotized, then, I don't know, maybe that's okay. But, uh, because it's kind of like consensual non-consent, you know? Uh, but amnesia is a pretty difficult suggestion to pull off for a novice, at least from what I can tell. That's kind of like the holy grail of hypnosis is to try to get someone to actually forget what you've done. So, and getting someone to forget without their consent is pretty difficult. Uh, if it's possible at all, the hypnosis community seems to be divided on this. Uh, ultimately, hypnosis is bypassing the critical function of your brain to communicate with the subconscious or unconscious or other than conscious brain. Everyone has their own terminology. Um, however, in order for your other than conscious part of your brain to listen, it actually has to want to listen. So inducing an amnesia effect isn't so much removing the memory as it is telling the subconscious to play a game and hide the relevant data from the conscious mind. And I know this is getting really technical and difficult, but the point is your brain has to want to play the game, at least on some level. So it, you can't really make someone do something they don't want to do. Uh, now, there is a caveat there that some people say, well, that's true, but you can make them change what they want. And so that way, kind of bypass and get around it. But it's a highly debated topic and beyond the scope of, of beginners. Uh, it's not something I'd worry about with an amateur uh, managing. Uh, yeah, 
So, uh, the too long didn't want to read version of this is, uh, I think hypnosis isn't wrong. Number one, number two, wanting to hypnotize your wife isn't wrong. And number three, wanting to manipulate your spouse against their will to do something they don't want to is wrong, regardless of the mechanism. And so, yeah, that's what I think about that. Uh, Next question is, is it wrong to masturbate if I don't have an orgasm during sex? Uh, This person writes, for a long time, I've struggled with low sex drive, and it wasn't until recently, over the past year or so, that I've seriously asked God through prayer to bless the situation. God has been true in answering the prayer. However, it has been happening very frequently that I'm not able to have an orgasm, though my partner has no problem. My question is, is it wrong to masturbate after sex? My partner isn't doing anything wrong, and I do find them attractive. I do not masturbate, but have on occasion thought of it of it after being left feeling sexually still sexually driven following sex where I have not orgasmed. So I've actually written, written a post about this uh, in the past. Um, so uh, you can check out the link to the old blog post. I'm not going to rehash everything in there um, because it's already there. However, for the, the short answer for my readers who may be driving and can't click on a link right now, um, the short answer is don't stop having sex. Just extend the session until you do have an orgasm. Um, just because he has an orgasm doesn't mean it needs to stop. You, he, he can use his hands or a toy, or he can just be there and hold you while you masturbate. Then at least it's a shared experience. And um, so, yeah. Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, if you believe you can orgasm through masturbation, then just do it with him there. Question 11 is, why does it seem you almost never have anything new on here? Um, so there's a few reasons for this. Uh, one is that I took a job with one of my clients a couple years ago. And to be honest, it's difficult to p- keep up the pace I used to have when I was self-employed. Um, as well, my family is growing up. I have five kids ages 12 and under. They'll be 13 and under this year. Um, and they're starting to take a lot more of my time as well, especially as they get involved in programs. Uh, honestly, right now I'm recording this while three of my kids are at a karate class and two of them are watching TV and my wife is at the gym with the three that are at karate. So, uh, it, it becomes harder and harder to find time to do this, but, um, I am, I am trying to find the time. Lastly, I tend to go in phases where uh, I'll learn and read for a while, and then I'll write a bunch, and then I'll go back into learning mode. And lately, I've been in a learning type of phase more than a writing phase. Uh, I've also been devoting a fair bit of time to product development because, well, I do want to go back to being self-employed. I miss that. And ideally, uh, I want to I want this to be my full-time job. I would love to spend the rest of my life helping couples. Um, that that sounds wonderful to me. So I am doing some things like product development, um, like you may have seen over the Christmas break uh, with our advent calendars and our sexy coupons, um, because those things, they not only help to pay the bills for the blog, but I'm hoping eventually they'll also provide an income for our family so I can devote more time to this. So I'm sorry that there isn't anything new for long stretches occasionally, but there are a few hundred old articles that you likely haven't read, and I'll do my best to be more consistent with my posting. Our next question is about shaving. So they write, a follow-up to your post on whether Christians groom their pubic hair. Wondering if any of your readers shave their husband's pubic hair because it helps their wife to orgasm more easily when she's on top. Just curious, don't really want to shave unless it's worth it. P.S. To clarify, shaving would expose the husband's pubic bone better for the wife to grind against. Um, I don't have any data on this whatsoever. We have not asked this question in a survey. However, if I ever rerun the survey about grooming, then I, I'll add this question to it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any stats um, at my fingertips at the moment. Um, if you're curious about what posts are talking about, uh, we ran a survey about uh, grooming a while back. I'm honestly not sure how long ago, um, but there's a link to it on the post for this episode. So you can check it out on the site. Question 13 is how to ask a potential spouse if they like oral sex. So this, uh, 
This guy writes, I have a strong sex drive and was happily married and have a very fulfilling sex life. My wife gave me oral sex. I'm past 60 and loved it. She passed away suddenly last year and I want to get married again. How do I ask if a woman will fulfill my oral sex needs to enjoy sex again? That means oral sex till the end. Thanks. So, uh, first off, I wanted to say, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. That's... Uh, I can't imagine. I've had, unfortunately, a few people email me in the last couple of months who have lost their spouses later in life, and uh, I can't imagine what that's like. That would be, yeah, uh, I don't know what to say about that. However, if I was in that same position, I'd probably make a list of what my desires are for a new relationship, along with... um, what are kind of like my must-haves and what are my desired but not critical. Uh, you call this an oral sex need. Is it a need? I don't know. Uh, I, I know for myself, I'd probably have trouble calling that a need. A desire, definitely. Um, so, like, for me, there's not a lot of must-haves. My, my base must-have is that... Uh, a future spouse would need to be someone who is trying to follow God. I think everything else is kind of solved by that requirement. Uh, now, they have to actually be trying. Just claiming to be a Christian or warming pew, that doesn't count. Um, I, I would want to see during our courtship that they're actually, you know, they show that character that's trying to follow God. And I think the rest of it then can be figured out because if they have actually have that character, then I would think by the time that they're in their sixties, then they'd be learning to be more selfless. They'd be a more caring lover. Uh, they'd be open to exploring things like that because I think that kind of comes with all that. Uh, now that said, there's, there's, Definitely plenty of 60 year old, uh, Christian, and I put that in double quotes, who, uh, have just been warming a pew for the last 60 years. Oh, and there are others that they have just become Christian and they're certainly not that far along their walk or they haven't seen character changes. And there are others that it just, it takes while, it takes a while or they've kind of started further back or whatever reason. But, uh, I think, the other thing is, if you're, this guy says he's past his 60s. I think if I'm late, that late in life and I had a must have, like a requirement for my next relationship, then at some point during our courting relationship, I'd simply bring up a conversation about it and say, hey, these are my expectations, my desires, and these are my um, deal breakers. And you should each know what each other's deal breakers are. And if they don't match, then you walk away. Um, frankly, at that point in my life, I would probably be thinking, I don't have time to mess around with somebody who is not going to be a potential spouse. Um, at least at that point, then you know what to expect. You know, even if they say, hey, no, I'm not up for oral sex, then you can decide, you know, maybe it's not as critical as you once thought it was but at least then you know going in and yeah that's pretty much the only advice i have now i haven't dated since i was I, we never really dated I, I met my wife when we were 16 so um and my views on courtship and dating are very different than others for me uh, the point of courting someone or dating someone is to find a spouse. And as soon as you find something that's a deal breaker, then that's it. That's the end of the deal. You step away until it changes. Uh, like at that point, I would say, no, we're no longer in a romantic relationship. Uh, if it changes in the future, we can reevaluate. But at the way things are now, definitely not. Now, like I said, not everybody views it the same way, but that's how I'd look at it. At it. Our last question is about orgasming on command. So question 14 writes, I recently read your blog post about simultaneous orgasms. I will link to that in the post as well. And one of the questions you had your survey respondents answer was that if they could climax in quote on command, I'm wondering, is this just a guy thing or is some woman able to do this too? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm a woman and I might have 
had a hope when I was young and first married, but we haven't hadn't really perfected our technique then, so I don't know for sure. Now, four children later, I feel thankfully just to climax once or twice, and there's no way I could do it on command. However, when I do finally get there, my husband is usually able to climax right away, lending to my theory that this must be a guy thing. So, I think there's kind of two things going on there. Uh, first off, I would think this would be easier for women than for men, if we're thinking the way I am. Uh, let me explain. So while it's difficult for either men or women to orgasm without any physical sensation, women tend to be able to do this easier. So I would think orgasming on command would be an extension of that. Men tend to, but not always, uh, they tend to be more physically led during sex. So their sensations drive their responses more. Uh, and women tend to, but again, not always, tend to be more mentally led during sex. So their thoughts and emotions driving their response. Uh, in fact, I suspect that many women could actually learn to orgasm without being touched at all, just by being talked to, because women seem to be able to build uh, kind of these sensations in their body a lot easier um, just by having kind of a fantasy about sex, which is one of the reasons I, I think guys really need to learn how to talk more sexy to their spouses. I think a lot of guys are silent, um, and I think they're kind of cheating both themselves and their wives uh, by being so, because they're not bringing out kind of a lot of that arousal that they could kind of generate just by talking more. Uh, specifically during sex. So, uh, I think, I think it would take for many of these women, uh, a lot of time to train up that sort of response. And like they'd have to be extremely mentally aroused. But I do think it's more likely for women to be able to do this than for men. Um, as for husbands to be able to climax right away, I think that's a, a kind of a different function. That's more likely that he's, already so aroused physically and you having an orgasm either puts him off over the top or he's been holding off on his own. And then when you orgasm, he just lets go um, because, well, there's no point in holding off anymore, or he may just not have the willpower to hold off anymore. And those are two very different mechanisms. Uh, one is, you know, you're already there and you're just waiting to, to be able to go. And the other one is um, kind of being able to push you over on command. And it's a subtle difference, but it is a difference. Um, the point is, I don't, I don't think this is a purely a guy thing. And I don't think it's purely a woman thing. Uh, I just think that, uh, they're both likely, they just use different mechanisms. And again, these are generalizations and tends to, and it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. So that's it for now. Those are the 14 questions I pulled when I kind of picked my cutoff date. Uh, I've already got a bunch more. Uh, if you have a question that I haven't covered or uh, you just can't find an answer to on the blog or anywhere else, um, you're more than welcome to email me. You can email me at j, so j-a-y, at uncoveringintimacy.com. Or you can have, head over to our website at un uncoveringintimacy.com and click on our Have a Question page. Uh, I much prefer getting emails because then I can ask you questions, we can get more context, and I can give you more of an answer that's about your situation. Um, but I completely understand that there's many people that aren't comfortable with that. But if I did answer your question and uh, you wanted to follow up or say, hey, you know, I... I didn't understand part of the context and that might change my answer. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I like hearing from people who later told me, oh, you answered one of my anonymous questions. And uh, I like to hear how that turned out. Um, because a lot of times I answer these questions and then I hear nothing from them again. And uh, yeah, I just like to hear from people who, who are out there. Because uh, a lot of times it kind of feels like you're uh, reading and speaking into thin air and it just disappears, even though I can see the thousands of people who visit the blog every day. Anyways, that's it for now. Uh, hope to have another podcast up soon. Actually, I'm halfway done writing uh, another blog post, so I should have a podcast episode for that uh, whenever I can finish it and find time to record. Uh, so stay tuned. 
Oh, and lastly, if you enjoy these podcasts, then I'd love it if you would review it on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Um, that's how other people find us. Um, actually, surprisingly enough, even though I haven't been doing podcasts lately and it's been forever since I actually got an actual episode out, there's still about a thousand people who download our podcasts every week, which is phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to start growing this and getting more because I think I think the Christian community has a lot of questions and I think there's not a lot of people answering them. And uh, I'm more than willing to kind of be that person to try to get them answers whenever possible. So if you're willing to, you can leave a review. As far as I know, you can just make up a name and leave a review that way. And uh, yeah, let other people know. And thanks for your support. As well, if you want to help support us uh, financially, you can check us out on Patreon uh, or Patreon, however you say it. Um, there's links on the website. Uh, there's some people who join for as little as a dollar a month. And frankly, if I could get every reader to contribute a dollar a month, then I could quit my job and do this full time and get a lot more podcasts and blog posts out to you. As well, uh, if you do decide to contribute, uh, at the very least, you get access to our public, our private forum, and you get to see all these questions uh, as they come in. Basically, uh, I usually post them the day that they get sent to me and we tend to discuss them kind of as a group and that's where i get some of my ideas from uh but either way we we have a lot of fun kind of discussing them and you got a lot a lot more interaction so if that interests you then yeah check out our patreon page and uh that's it for now we'll see you next time <laughs>